Hello, hello again, everybody. How's it going? I am Chet Kozowski. And I'm Trevor Miller, and we're talking about pilots. Today we're talking Stranger Things. Boom, yes. title drop. Yes, today we are talking Chapter 1, The Vanishing of Will Byers, Season 1, Episode 1 of Stranger Things. And guess what? It's a pretty cool-ass pilot, what can you say? It really kicks off the entirety of what, how even, like, what the show becomes, how it becomes a fandom, how it became... Essentially, what I'm trying to say is that Stranger Things started as what I thought was like a callback to 80s horror and like an 80s era. But in the end, at this, what is it now, season three? Going to season four? We're going to season four. Going to season four. Um, it feels a little bit Game of Thronesy. Like it's become such a thing that it now has like an entire calling behind it. I would say, yeah, where it is a show where the main gimmick is like calling back on old like franchises and old ways of telling stories and old, not not just like the kind of references to Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons, like Spielberg movies, Anthem and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but actually calling back to how those stories were told and how, yeah, back in the 80s, there were lots of like really kind of gruesome, terrible, terrifying stories about like, Seriously. Kids going missing and like like a lot of horror in the eighties was based around like child endangerment and uh, about how the and then now we can't actually call back to the eighties looking back with like hindsight um the Reaganomics of it all and looking oh, back on oh my god uh, yeah <laughs> looking at Reagan era America like from the past and how they were kind of like talking to and referring to each other and how yes like. Today, obviously, we are fixated on our pop culture references and our things that we, like, our sacred cows that define our personalities. That's what you for it, sacred cows. And, and, yeah, like, for as much as this show is a part of that, it also calls back to, yeah, like, these, this four group, this great main group of four boys who we see playing Dungeons and Dragons together are very, like, good analogs for just kind of, Target America audiences rising in 2016 and going into the like golden era of like nerd pop culture. It's the fact that they are all like perfect burgeoning stereotypes. They're like like they are set in stone A to A to Z like ruled stereotypes. But the creators found the perfect way to make them moldable and not make them stick in in a way that they created stereotypes that could be expanded upon and didn't have to be. Uh, a general sense of what we know from the 80s to now and how, like, basically what I mean is how we look back at the 80s with such, like, nostalgia glasses, but in a way that's, like, uh, rose-colored glasses. Yeah. It said fuck that, and it created original characters with a modern, like, heart and basis with that 80s feel, and I yeah. think for some reason that's what expounded the universe into the thing that it is now and why so many people love it. This episode... Yes. It's incredibly well directed and well paced let's talk about the opening oh. scene where we just open on a lab in hawkins indiana we don't know what the fact that means it in the whatever perfectly we just see okay oh. ominous building man bursting out of the hallway running alarms whamp 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 gets in the elevator tapping the button he's clearly running from something oh wait <laughs> it's in the elevator we don't see it it's all a master of sound design which, okay, 
Also, to what you said, the fact that that opening scene is it's the epitome of a spec script. Uh, yeah. Like, like, and that's not a bad thing. Like, I love that about it. But it's if, just... Do you want to know what this monster is? Pay us our salary and find out. Yeah. And it's, it's perfect. <laughs> it's a by-the-numbers mystery. I love that. And then we cut from this mysterious lab where clearly some sci-fi bullshit is going on. And we think, okay, what's we're coming to next? And then just a simple townhome and four boys in a basement playing Dungeons and Dragons. Which I, some part of me has to think that that's the Duffer Brothers. Like some part of me thinks they just wrote themselves. Partly, yeah, because have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? I've actually not. You've never played Dungeons not and Dragons? Not a day. I have, I have multiple friends who have. I sat in w- once mm. uh, on a friend's, what's the word? The campaign. Campaign. I know that the day I sat in, they went for like eight hours, and I was there for like 30 minutes of it. And That's it like, kind of the thing. I've played a hand. <laughs> I have not played as much as I want to. Mm-hmm. I want to find like, a core group of people to have like a good campaign with, but I have played like intermittently in my life. It's a kind of really nerdy, immersive experience. That oh, but it's it's the fact that it's a whole world that you create that you. And that's what those... gets you involved in it. Where yes. you're just like, okay, you have kind of an established group of characters and a bunch of established goals, established histories. Now, okay, the thing that I take away from all this and that I love so much about Stranger Things is how broken so many of these characters truly are. And not I'm not just talking about the boys either, like all of the characters in the show as a whole. I think... I, I, don't, I don't know how to voice this. There is a concern I feel, and I don't know if other people feel this, that lately a lot of streaming platforms that make original series aim more often than not to make safe characters or characters who their choices aren't as strong as uh, they try to write essentially characters that feel like real people in real life. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the stranger thing says, well, no, if we look at Hopper, he's got a lot going on the whole time. And granted that is his character, but the fact that they're not afraid to be like, people are broken and they are supposed to learn. That's how they learn. They're allowed to grow. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad this show like, has no real everyman and has yes, no real yes. kind of like again like all the adults are either parodies of 80 stereotypes or like extreme in their own way i love the teachers in season one they're just they they There's really only one teacher yes yeah, sorry teacher, teacher who, yes. who does have the scene where he shows the boys the like radio kit and it's and, just such a father figure moment. Like, it's clear that that's who he is. And yeah, Grant Hopper is that overall for them. But I love that. Yeah, like, these kids, like, find father figures. Like, they're, like, yeah. Will does not have a father, or at least has a divorced, absent father. Uh, uh, fucking Mike's father is just the guy from Assassination Nation who's just the dad that just sits there and eats his fucking steak. Yeah, I knew that would make your eyes I forgot. pop like that. Yeah, like I forgot. I literally just watched the fucking pilot and I forgot. Oh yeah, my god. He's just he just sits there and he's just like, I'm an American man. He's like Hank Hill, yeah. but not a parody. Why does he always play that character? That because that's he just fucking looks like that dude. And the, and the irony, because I know he's the complete opposite of that. I've seen him in interviews before and he's so fucking chill. I've only seen him. I've only seen him in the two things, uh, Stranger Things and Assassination Nation, where uh, he does play just the bad and weeds his steak and shuts up. <laughs> it's, it's whole, his whole line of dialogue like, in Assassination Nation is just like, respect your mother, respect the country. Listen like, to your mother. Like, like <laughs> watch your language. Like, your mother's in the room. Like, that's who he plays. Characters. And it, 
It fucking works. <laughs> um, now, an icon that we have to talk about that no one ever pays for her correct views from this show. Uh, <laughs> I just had it. Um, what is her name? Because I don't want to. Writer? No, well, no. Um, because we will talk about her. Our icon who something happens to. Oh, Barb. 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 Yes. The, the Again. The discourse that came from this show surrounding her and the fact that within after season one's ending, it just stopped. I was like, no, she's an I. She's so good. Again, not to talk too much about like the future yes. of the show. That's true. But Barb was just introduced in this episode. She dies at the end of episode two, beginning of episode three. And that's just her presence in the show in season one. Was the second episode, and she, oh. yeah, and she's just like wow, one of these kind of like '80s characters who a lot of people just kind of like connected to and related to. And, and that she, actress, she was so that design. actress who later became like uh, on Netflix, uh, Sierra Burgess. Like they gave her her own fucking movie because they, they were just with that movie. It's not good. I like I've seen it. It's not great. It's but it, clearly it's, like that's. Something where like Netflix goes, oh, we have someone who everyone connect. They oh, literally like they connected a script and a star. They were like, just like, wait, like, oh my god, we have these people under contract, and like everyone loves this. Of course, it'll be funny. And see, you know, that was that was a genuine concern for me at the time, though, as well as I saw that exactly as you described it. They literally connected the star and a script, and I was like, I, I hope that works. I hope they're not just doing it for the money, which at this point they. But it does them. feel like they just took this this. Talented young actress who clearly um, is someone who, like, which is playing like a secondary character in a pilot for an episode. Yes. Who you know, the costume department had a lot of fun with. She's, okay, she's <laughs> and, so cute. And that gave her a fucking career. And yes, oh. like, the Duffers obviously knew that, like, okay, we have to, like, raise the stakes in later episodes and they, she becomes the next victim. Yes. And. Like, that's what these shows often have. Like, they have, like, the main victim and then the next victim. And so we have Will going missing, and that kickstarts everything where we have Joyce going crazy and, like, her bro- uh, her son, uh, Will's brother, what's... Uh, um, where no, no, I do, too. I have the name Jonathan yes. Byers. Yeah, so cool. we have Joyce uh, Byers and Jonathan Byers. Charlie Heaton, who plays him, he's so good. He's... He's already being he's a great actor because of New Mutants. Oh, like, oh yeah, like he's been screwed over by New Mutants, but he's uh, he's done other things, and he's a character he actor who I am excited for his next career. But this show is just full of actors who, like, yeah, they're all character actors, and they all fit their niche perfectly in this show. And obviously, like, whatever, like the second season was coming out, I was like, oh, is this going to carry through? And then. It kind of did. Second season yes. not perfect, not great, but it works. I'm season gonna... three, I love. I really like season three. Okay, the irony for me is that I don't. I really like seasons one and two on their own, but that I can't. Season tell three if... goes off the fucking rails. Season two just feels like more of season one. Yes, and I think that's why I liked it. I I I genuinely love the characterization and the heart of the story in season one. So just see it play out more. I was season like, Fuck three that. is what I wanted Wonder Woman 1984 to be. In terms of their 80s parody. Yeah. And that's extremely fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like, imagine Wonder Woman fighting that fucking goo monster at the end. And that's, okay, on a side note, I think that's why I love that opening, the whole opening scene, the opening yeah. montage of 84, because the introduction of Starcourt Mall had that same push. But even like 
the same elevation, the same kind of camera techniques, the same editing, where it's like, oh, well, like, you see it through their eyes. And, you know, you see the influence of Stranger Things in something as big as the sequel to Wonder Woman. Which where is crazy. a movie that took place <laughs> in World War One then jumps to the future, like, for Superman fighting shit. And um, then they're just like, okay, what do we do next with that? And then they're like, oh, Stranger Things is big. Let's send it in the 80s. I, okay, I so, do wonder, do you think that was part of the reasoning? Like, genuinely. Well, yes, because Stranger Things, like, obviously 80s culture will always kind of have a, like, presence and we get our Ready Player Ones and things like that. But true, Stranger Things fully embrace and absorb, like, oh, here's a new kind of, like, aesthetic to way you can view the 80s mm-hmm. in terms of how you can dress and act and, like, it's less kind of Friends parody of, like, oh, we were dressing like this 10 years ago. Now it's like, oh, we were dressing like this, like, 30, 40 years ago. Though, with with you mentioning Friends, that is coming back now, because we, we were in that wave of 80s nostalgia, and it's slowly falling off, which is going to come into 90s nostalgia. We're getting into 90s nostalgia, but we will eventually kind of fully transition into, like, 90s appreciation, which we are now kind of in with the 80s, where, no, the, I, where these things are now kind of just bedrocks of our culture, where, yes. where things like Back to the Future and E.T. and Star Wars and, like where these things are as American as Apple Pie and Ronald Reagan. Oh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're held to the highest standard of classics, but because we're revisiting them so strongly now, I feel like, I feel like they're almost getting like a Marvel-esque, a Disney Marvel-esque push of finding their way back into the mainstream, which is very interesting. And I'm going to be honest, it makes me nervous for, let's say 10 years from now when the, the second wave hits, where we go back to 2000s nostalgia because I do not need the movies, the horror movies specifically that came out in the early 2013 Ghost, Ghost Ship, leave it there. Like, I loved it. I Don't get me wrong. I know I talked to a lot of people about those types of movies. I love them. But that, like, uh, the hyper-editing style, I don't need it back. I don't need it back. And it's going to come back. And I don't need it. But, you know, when, like, obviously, movies from the 80s, you can, like, look at a big chunk. And you can look at, like, your Indiana Jones is, like, everything Spielberg mm-hmm. and, like, Oh, it's all about the names. Like, yeah, all about yeah. like the Spielberg, Coppola, Lucas, John Carpenter, like people of that nature. And yeah, like obviously, like you could like mock at like what an eighties movie. Like we had that era where we're mocking, like, Haha, this is an eighties movie. Eighties movie. It's like, it's very interesting. But now, but yeah. now we're like we like jumped all the stuff that we're just like okay, like hot pants and flash dancing and stuff like that. But now we're just like, oh yeah, like we got Spielberg style like film techniques yes. that are now being translated into a modern era of television that can actually take what we loved about the 80s and not just kind of like have Rachel walk on on friends and like in yes. like her like workout uniforms and be like, let's get physical. <laughs> Remember this from five years ago? But it's, it's also... And now, like, now we can actually see, like, okay, these things actually had artistry and craft in them, and, like, they existed in a world that was as complex as ours is today. And yes. the complexity of small-town America wasn't, like, as simple as we made it look on TV, because the 80s was always amping what the 50s was doing. And this That's is always true. a cycle that will continue. It's also very interesting to me how, yes, 1985 is the literal middle of the 80s, but I feel like 
that that shift, that paradigm that you just talked about is exactly what happened at that midpoint in 1985. We went from these industry leaders and this, uh, this economy, this system that was used to these names, these big names, these Hollywood standards and how at the start of every decade, we kind of reinvent our standards mm -hmm. and how 1985 suddenly fell from 85 to 90 into that exact, let's make fun of what the 80s is now, what it's become and what it can be. Springsteen, Madonna, Waiting for Nirvana, YouTube, Blondie, Music, Silent, and TV. When in the 80s was Springsteen's like big push? Like I know he was a part of the like, 80s. When Bruce Springsteen? Was it like, oh, was God. it 85? Was it like around that point? I don't know specifically, and my parents will hate me for this. I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know specific years of Spring, uh, Springsteen's uh, career, sorry, but Springsteen is as 80s ever. I'm like, are there Springsteen songs in Stranger Things? I feel like there might be. Are I don't even. Because we do have a killer soundtrack in this first episode. Oh, it's stacked. And that's the thing, too, is the budget really went to the music. Oh, yeah. But, like, the budget goes way into the music in later seasons. But in this... That's true. In this that's season, true. we have uh, Africa play. We yes. have... Uh, oh, my God. That was, like, a big... Yeah, that was a big... Scene. I remember, too, when I heard that, I was like, you kidding me? Like, that's... You gotta pay for that. And then, like, throughout season one, they have uh, Should I Stay or Should I Go as, like, a recurring song. As, yes. like, oh, this means something. Okay. Um, all right. I I forgot um, what David Harbour's opening scene was like. Oh, he's a trash man. <laughs> oh, but it's so hot. Oh, but it's so hot. Like, I, like I know, but, like, ooh. Yeah, you love Broken Men. Oh, Viper, I love David Harbour. Oh, I just watched his Hot Ones, and he's so gorgeous. Oh, I love he's my so Hot gorgeous. Ones. Because he's just... Okay, on a side note, I know we're talking about David Harbour, but in his Hot Ones, he's just so real. I've never seen a celebrity who is so unafraid to just say what they actually feel when asked. Because you, you can see at times when they push a product or they push like who they are to the back to be palatable. And he's just... Every single one of his answers was like, they'd be like, what are you doing with your life? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, he's, I love him. I was like, him. yeah, I put in quarantine and, you know, waiting for Stranger Things he's four to come out. I love that man so much. Oh my God. Him, but him and Stranger Things. Oh, yes. Woo! Again, a star making performance. Like, oh, my God. like, he's an actor who I believe, like, he was, he did a lot of big stuff. He was on Newsroom. He was on, oh, yeah. Things, like, and, yeah, but he oh, was boy. he was a character actor. The same year he was in Suicide Squad as like like government agent number two or something like that. So like he was having a bit of a year at this point. I did not remember that. Yeah, he was yeah, that. he was in Suicide Squad. He has the trailer line was like, what if Superman uh went oh, to the White House ripped the roof of the White House off and killed the president or something? Oh, yeah, he's that guy. God. So like yeah, like this same year, this this same summer, he that that, that must have premiered, like, within weeks of the Stranger Things premiere. And, like, imagine what he thinks is going to be the bigger thing for his career, being in a big DC superhero movie or being in a Netflix miniseries that who knows how it's going to do. Seriously. And imagine, like, you even forgot that he was in Suicide Squad. And now we're just like, oh, yeah, David Harbour from Stranger Things, our, like, our daddy. He's married to Lily Allen? Lily Allen, remind me. <laughs> Who is this? Um, an iconic, iconic British singer. Um, He's married to a British singer? He is. Lily that, Allen What is, a household that must be like. Oh, wow. 
That, Should we talk 11? We need to talk about 11. Yes. Okay. Because, I want to get to that. Um, I will say quickly, that is the reason why I think I didn't like season three is just because the way they went about re-owning his narrative. And, and I understand it it's a very human story and he's complex. So I get that it would go one of a couple different ways, but it always irked me that he got like emotionally violent and that his, his character is reintroduced in season three as this person who is so unhinged that he's just yelling at children and i was like oh no but it does kind of track with how he is just from the very beginning yes. where like you see him at the very start of all of this bullshit where like nothing has happened yet and he's just living in a trailer and like drinking beers in the middle of the day smoking in the shower and just living his day-to-day life if will byers doesn't disappear and this lab doesn't have his experiment nothing about his life changes if he probably would have been just as much of an asshole and like he does That's grow true. by experiences and having these group of kids around him but like he is still that person and he's not really equipped to deal with like you see how he treats the kids when he's just trying to figure out where they last saw the uh, what will and yeah you see him trying to deal and he's like well i'm threatening the kids he's just like do i make myself clear which uh, and you are not to do that so yeah like he's always kind of been like this kind of broken hard ass and show, a show like this can really make you, like, without him becoming, like, without him, like, then changing his character, make you care about him. Right. That's, I yeah, I guess it doesn't um, go too far out of, like, left field from how we set him up. Yeah. Okay. So we have, like, the whole stuff where the kid gets taken by some, like, some scary like monster that we don't see. The Demogorgon. The, the Demogorgon. Um, we come to know him. But we also have the lab experiment going wrong. We have Matthew Modine coming in. He's as, so Matthew a, as the Silver Fox himself, just kind of like, I'm gonna come in and add some fucking class to this show. He worked so well in a way that I genuinely did not realize until the season was over. Like, like they give him that kind of X-Files like I am, yeah, that's I exactly. am the mysterious government man. Yes. And he plays that so fucking well. Yes. Where all he has to do is walk into like walk into this government facility wearing a suit and tie and stuff like that and being shown all this stuff and like, yeah, he's in charge of all this shit. Something's gone wrong. And you see them talking about like this big threat. We know there's a monster, we know this, and then they're like, and the girl. And he's the authority of the girl. There are continuously questions swirling around his character until his final moment. Like they, he, I can't tell if it's his acting or the script or both, but it works so, so well. I love when a show can just be like, this character is always going to be a mystery to you. Yes. And we have no idea what his interiority is. He's just the big evil science man. I would I would gladly take vagueness over an actual backstory any day within reason. And speaking of the vagueness, where we cut from like this big elaborate like sci- science fiction thing going on to little girl covered in dirt in a hospital gown walking through the woods. Yes. And you're just like, what the hell is this? And then she, she's clearly hungry and stealing food. Her head is shaved. And the iconic image of just like, like the girl, Millie Bella Brown playing 11 with a shaved head. Like that became like an iconic thing. That became like the Halloween costume that became. Seriously. Everyone had the box of waffles. Everyone. Everyone had the waffles. Like she took the meat from Donkey. Like now, El- now eleven is the waffle per- So much so. Remember how the trailer for season two opens with an echo commercial, 
where they go, look, oh, my ego. You, like, oh, my ego from the 80s. And then they're like, 11, where are you? And it's oh. like, that's how iconic they make this character. We're just like, oh, she doesn't eat ego waffles in this first episode. She eats french fries. Now, so I, could, I, I could play the french fries. But. I don't have, like, an actual issue with that. But my issue is that I I want to say that's good storytelling, but it also just feels like a, a push from capitalism. Like, it just feels like a way for a company to be like, hey, you used our product. It became such a known piece or such an iconic piece of her character here is more i mean that's kind of how all advertising is where it's just or yeah. all product placement is where like you hope that the movie that you put your ad for like bagel bites is going to be a big deal yeah. like ego could have like this could have been a thing a show that no one watched no one's seen that ego just has like their waffles in but no it became like this big mainstream success and then ego waffles had i don't know I don't know, Eggo Waffle shares. I assume they went up. <laughs> but, oh, they had to have. Their, their resurgence. Dude, I didn't Waffles as a kid. They were iconic. They, I don't think their resurgence stuck around strong enough in season two, but I know for a fact, season one, Eggo Waffles, this is so weird, but like, okay, you know how stores have like the side panels, how everything is like pushed yeah. to that? Everything was Eggo. Legitimately, for a year of my life, every single side panel in the grocery store was Eggo products because of Stranger Things. <laughs> season one, like, demolished the market. It was ridiculous. But of course, in the pilot episode, she will eat French fries, made by Chris Sullivan, my, one of my favorite like character actors from This Is Us, and from Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and he's like, he's one of those actors who's kind of a David Harbour type who will just kind of play like the like big, stuff, big, yes. tough, broken straight man. Okay. He's got like a beer belly and some, maybe a beer or something. I actually just wa- I just started watching him in something that I think you told me to watch. I think a year ago, I maybe mean, more. I, camping, camping. You oh, I, you, I finally got around. To the you first finally got around to watching him watching camping. That's I, a weird fucking. Show. I don't. Lo- okay, I love. Yeah. I know we're not talking about camping. I'm gonna talk about it very very fast. I don't love what Jennifer Garner is doing, but I love her like i love how she is taking the script and i can see how she is like trying things out and playing but chris sullivan's introduction to that world great i love it i've told you before like the reason i told you to watch the show is because when we would make uh, comedy sketches in college oh like, and it, the, the the humor sensibility was yes on that exact same wavelength so i'm like did yeah. we make an hbo show and no one told me it literally <laughs> felt like that grouping like i could feel the energy. it's like such weird stoner college humor but with like nothing grown adults and david Tennant. you did not t- you might have told me of course i, I told you david okay, well, i apologize was i did not i did not it did not sink in the way i thought because when i started the pilot of camping i was like what the fuck okay. i meant to not hear um, his accent was weird we are going to end our camping conversation right yes. now and i'm going to add it to our fun list of pilots maybe talked about it's an interesting pilot i would say that but, um, but back to stranger things so yes. we have chris sullivan of camping fame, and this is us, of course. Yes. Uh, oh God, yeah. Uh, he plays like this diner owner who is just like, who would like. This is like a really cool pilot conceit, where just like we see like him, kind of like taking this kid, is like, okay, what the hell is going on? Clearly, science fiction people want this kid. And then at Ooh. the end of the episode, when we have like the government person kind of be like, "Hi, I'm Child Protective Services," and he welcomes her in and. She shoots him and he's dead. And it's like, holy shit. Now there are stakes. Now we have, like, of course, we had a kid go missing, but now we have a dead body. And now we have, like, now we know what the men in black want and what 
Yes. What lengths they are willing to go to get what they want. And it's and a very strong and well done natural progression. Again, the spec script, it just constantly builds and builds and builds. But the tension, it's, just, it's I, I can't get over the execution of the pilot specifically because it just works so well. Like, Eleven really doesn't do much. No, she, God no. She's clearly escaped from something that we don't see it. She goes into the diner, steals food, and then, like, eats food while, like, the guy asks her questions. Yeah. Uh, her guardian gets shot, and then she runs away, and then we see her at the very end. That's all the information we get. For well, the purposes of the pilot, she's essentially a MacGuffin. She is a MacGuffin. She's, barely, she's not a character. Like, yeah. She later becomes a character, and we see her in the diner. Like, she has telekinesis. Yeah, And that's, like, a hook, and clearly she is powerful, and the government will kill people to get her. And what... How simple that is. And then to end this episode, we have these kids, like the remaining three boys, like in the woods, stupidly looking for their friend. And they just stumble upon this girl. And now, boom, we're off to the races. The series has begun. We have our core group of kids. Like the two plot threads have intersected. And now we have a fucking series. And that pilot episode fucking hooks you. And it ushered in this new era of, like, super binge-watching. And yep. it makes you just want to be like, okay, what happens next? And, oh, what happens next? And next? And next? And then you have a fucking phenomenon. Seriously. And that's, that is the thing. That is why I personally feel that Stranger Things has not kept up its momentum. It's honestly why I'm not excited for season four. I think seasons one and two worked really well because of the interconnectivity between the story and the characters and what was important to them and their arcs. I kind of feel that season three went for sensationalism because it clearly had a bigger budget. And I think it got a little bit lost in its capitalism. It lost its heart to its budget. See, I, I think it's the Duffer brothers who clearly have this out of the gate, huge success. And now they're, they didn't like leave this project to go to a Marvel or a Star Wars. Oh no, this they, is their this is their yeah. this is their baby. Yes. And this is they're putting all of their energy into this. Obviously they have other like like staff writers and directors and people come on, but it is the Duffer Brothers show and they will always be like the head creatives. And watching both this pilot and then like thinking back to other episodes where it's like, yeah, they're doing everything they want to do. Mm-hmm. And regardless like maybe they get kind of like like creep by budget, but they still, like, they put all their energy into season two and season three. Yes. They, they may have not made the choices that we would have made, but they definitely, like, approached everything with confidence. Yes. And this show is, like, out of a way, like, one of those confident, like, a pilot has to be really fucking confident. You can tell when you watch, like, someone, like, making, like, a project for the first time or when you see, like, something on TV that's clearly not going to last, you see, like... Oh, you feel it. You you can feel when no one cares about what they're working on. And you can feel when everyone cares. And obviously, you feel it quite often with, like, ABC pilots. When they drop a sitcom, I'm like, okay. It's like, okay, uh, Zach Braff hosts the podcast. That's the show? Literally. Okay, how long is it going to last? That's, oh, not that long, huh? That, I guess, that is my... I, genuinely, I don't mean to shit on, like, season three or Stranger Things as a whole. It's just that I feel myself that the heart of Stranger Things didn't necessarily die, 
but it dimmed at the end of season two. Season two for me had like the strongest finale. I was I was weeping. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. Season three, I love what it tried to do. I appreciate the directions it went in, and I appreciate that it was unafraid to be like, we're gonna throw some shit at you, and you're gonna deal with it. Yeah. But I I don't I don't know. Now that things have kind of Again, I know we're talking about the pilot, but th- since things have hit the fan at the end of season three, I don't know if season four is going to be able to come in strong enough. But, I mean, like, but just, like we're talking about all, like, these giant stakes for, like, like back to like, the pilot episode, very little actually happens, but it yes. does set up this world where anything could happen, and it sets up, and think of, like, how invested we've clearly gotten in, like, the rest of this, and, like, side characters, like, uh, uh, Mike's, uh, Mike's sister... Uh, Nancy and then Steve, we have their little side plot going on, mm-hmm. and that's clearly something that's like, you know, like it has very little to do with like the like hook of the show at this point, but it is showing the heart where it's like these are characters, yeah, you're gonna care about them later, and when Steve comes to the rescue at the end of the season to fight the monster, like that's going to be a big deal, yes, and when like. You have like this kind of nerdy kid teaming with this popular kid. And you have this when you have all these little sad like when you have the like cop and like this kid. You have, it's setting up all these satellites and just, and it's really good showing how like yeah at first none of them are really connected, mm-hmm. but through the power of good storytelling, you can make all of these characters work and all these characters who at some point or another sit in the same rooms with each other. And you can fully picture what that is like. You can fully picture what the chemistry of the room is. And it's it's really strong when you can create these this many iconic characters. Like the four boys of the initial group, like obviously the one who goes missing, Will, who Will. in this episode is only kind of just like the innocent, but you he builds throughout the series. But in this, uh we have Mike who is kind of like the leader who uh, like his main character is like he is like the most driven in terms of finding Will. We have like the two character uh, side characters who like one is like the one black kid in the school, and one is the one with the a disability or like abnormality. Like what is that thing he has with the teeth? Dental uh, something that the gate. And I I just that, had that, it, that so. actor actually has. Oh, he does have it. Yeah, like oh, I, I didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, um, it's one of those things where they clearly like. Once they cast him, they wrote that thing into the pilot. I was micro. I know the last word is microplasia. It's uh... something Anyway, yeah, but like they work. Like you see, like a great way to introduce like this kid, this group of outcasts, just like to have the bullies walk in on them. Like that, there was always that scene where just like we are the bullies and you are the main characters, and we're going to point out your character flaws to you. That so your character. So the audience can relate to you. Yes. And that scene, it does a lot of heavy lifting, and it makes you really care about these guys. And like, then they're clearly upset when their friend goes missing. You see, like, clearly Mike is the leader, and you see that challenge later. But, I, and, God, these kids are just fucking Spielberg kids. Honestly, one of my, I know it might be silly, because it's, it's the most minute, like, mis, uh, minuscule thing, but one of my favorite beats of the entire pilot is when Nancy slams her door in Dustin's face. And he's like, oh, you want another piece of pizza? Because we get that iconic yeah. smile. But it just, it it's, it shows off his character. It's like, he. she's the mean older sister of his friend. And he is just like this 
sad little kid who just wants to be like talk to a girl. Yeah. And you get that characterization. And you know, like you see him them all having fun with the uh radio in the uh in the school. You see them like oh, yeah. arguing with each other, you see like them like doing bike races for comic books. And you can really relate to these characters and like it's just all the simple things you just put a bunch of little simple things into these characters and then all of a sudden you have like the basis for a phenomenal tv show yeah and you can just set up all these little things in a pilot and then once you kind of have that set up and once you have everything kind of there then you're off to the races and what an easily kind of like digestible show that this is because of that like that's true Think about how big this show gets and how much everyone has watched Trigger Things. And it's kind of fucking complicated if you really kind of like, like it's like an out there sci-fi show that everyone's watching. That's kind of a bizarre thing. I think, yes, but I think the show also hinges, and especially in its later seasons, on the chemistry between the actors. And, and yeah, I think like, these actors have great chemistry together. Yes. And I, I I think they all do. And that is a great thing. But I think in terms of the pilot specifically and setting up the energy that would carry through the entire series, all of the chemistry had to work between um, Winona and David. Uh, yes. And what is her name? Joyce. Joyce. Thank you. Because they never really... They really refer to her as mom or the little mom more than Joyce. But I, I no, think no, he, 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 he was like, Joyce? Joyce, I need you to listen to me. Like, oh, he's okay. got like, like, ah, he, sorry, David Harbour talks. He never calls her Mrs. Byers or I Bob. Don't, I don't really listen to names. I just watch the way his mouth moves. <laughs> um, but there, that chemistry is like the thing. It's like the, the building block, the bottom layer of the Lego. Like, they hold it all together. They're the glue. I know, right? But Winona Ryder, as such a sight, like, an icon of like the late eighties, early nineties, to come into this show about the uh, early eighties and really kind of just add that level of authenticity. She's like the one, like Matthew Modine, of course, is kind of like like he had a big career, but Winona Ryder's like the the star of the show. Yes. And despite the fact that she is the star of the show and like she is like such an integral part, she is just one part of a whole. And this show, like. No one is a star. Like, David Harbour, like, yes, he's, like, our favorite person, but he is not the star. Like, the star is just kind of, like, the concept and the world of Hawkins, Indiana. Like, I feel like if... I don't know how, like, the show got produced or, like, what the show looked like in the early stages, but it feels like any of these characters could have been cut or rewritten or reworked to fit other needs. And right. we may have lost characters along the way, but it feels like the one unifying hook on the wall is just the Duffer brothers having this world in their head and having this kind of concept of like little girl, like with superpowers and small town boys trying to find like, and yeah. really like, like the premises does all the heavy lifting and the characters just add to it. The show could work without the characters, but the fact that it works with them just gives the show so much added, like, class. 
Yes. Now I, so I looked up Charlie Heaton uh, on a side note, and this is actually, this is exciting for me. I think it'll be exciting for you. Okay. He actually has something huge lined up. He only has one thing lined up next. It is a sequel to the souvenir with um, Tilda Swinton. Really? Uh, Or sorry, not, or yeah, start Tilda Swinton. Um, And he is taking over the role. Yeah, he is a young male Tilda Swinton, isn't he? (laughs) He is taking over the role that was originally played by Robert Pattinson um, because Pattinson took the Batman and had to drop this, and it was picked up by A24. Okay. This will be his first A24 film that is also A24's first sequel. So I feel pretty good about that. That has a chance to actually stick in his career. I know that we're on like that A24 film, Facebook film group, yes. and how that... That group can be kind of toxic. There's, there's <laughs> but a lot it, of men who will die for their favorite film, let's say. But that. it's so much of people just saying, like, oh, here's a good thing, a good movie or a good TV show that just has A24 vibes. And, like, <laughs> yes. I feel like I've seen Stranger Things compared to A24, at least in its early days. I think now it's too mainstream for A24's taste. But I feel like A24 fucking snobs need to look at the pilot for Stranger Things and be like, yeah, like, this is quality and... Yes, it's Netflix, and yes, they're like they are their own kind of level of corporate film greed. But they have like the op- Netflix, like for as much as they create, they create so much fucking stuff, so much shit. It's like oh my god, creates the opportunity for these two guys, the Duffer Brothers, coming off of like a failed film at Warner Brothers, to be like, okay, here's like an idea for a show. Eight episodes? You just want eight episodes? Sure, here's a pilot, here's the rest of the show. And, you know, like, for all the kind of, like, harm the streaming awards have done, it's brought out, like, so many people just being like, make our version of Stranger Things. And everyone is now looking for their version of Stranger Things, their thing to hit, and their thing to be the next next success. But at the same time, that also proves a problem in the industry that is people are trying to replicate stranger things and what they should be replicating is the success of stranger things but what they tend to do and what society or specifically the hollywood industry tends to make people do is just repeat it period because they're like oh it worked once it'll work again and that they, they take the they take the pilot and work backwards yeah they take like stranger things and then like basically do their Frankenstein version. We're like, okay, what's our version of yep. like the boys in the bike? What's our version of the kid with telekinesis? What's our version of like Hopper? What's our version of like the men in black and stuff like that? Like what's our version of all this stuff? What's, what's our ego moment? What's our like, though that can unfortunately too cause content restlessness where it's just a constant void of the same material or versions of the same material hashed out with, specific details but the streaming wars do have like the streaming networks it's made it all very utilitarian that is true i'm recording again um so um, i guess that wraps it up for our talk of stranger things yes. episode one the vanishing of will byers uh so, um wow this this really was a great episode to revisit seriously the the pilot of stranger things has always been i think one of the strongest of the entire show, but it just, it was perfect footing for the show to be on. It's great. So thank you for listening. This has been Chet Kozalski. And this has been Trevor Miller. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye guys.